it doesn't even have to be a huge leap to another country where you take this big six month eat, pray, love um, hiatus. You know, you can start really small. Hey, I'm Caroline, and you're listening to In Her Nature, the podcast and community where you can learn from others' experiences to make your next adventure more approachable. Welcome to In Her Nature. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for joining us today. I'm so excited about our episode today about solo travel. It's a really interesting one. I hope that everyone is a little bit inspired to do something different and fun and cool after this episode. But before we get into our interview with Tessa today, I just wanted to cover some In Her Nature squad news. Um, I wanted to give a huge congratulations to Katie B on her 50K win this weekend. She ran the Volcanic Trail Race out west and she won the women's division of the 50k katie did our intro to trail running episode a couple of weeks ago and we are so grateful to have her in our little community and we just wanted to give a huge shout out to her because that's a a huge deal and she ran super fast and has been really training well so super congrats katie we are so hyped for you on that note if you are looking for inspiration or maybe like a new route in your area or maybe even a training buddy we do have a strava club so We talk about it every week, but you can just look us up on the club section of Strava and you'll see In Her Nature. You can go ahead and join that. You'll see what other people are doing. Obviously, be safe with your data and everything, but we are so excited and hopefully that will be a space where people can kind of encourage each other, learn from each other. Katie's run is on that, so that's what made me think about it, but I just wanted to give a shout out to our Strava club. If you have an idea for a podcast guest or an episode you want to learn about or a topic, or maybe you have a race coming up and you want more guidance, feel free to reach out to us on our socials or our email. So at InHerNaturePod, kind of like wherever socials or at gmail.com. That being said, we really appreciate you being here. Um, We grow by word of mouth. So if you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. Um, And then you've heard this a million times, but the rate and review function on like wherever you listen, Apple Podcasts or Spotify is so helpful for us and we're just starting. So we appreciate any love you're able to give us. Um, And as always, we do kind of give a disclaimer. This one is a little bit different today. But at In Her Nature, we are not professionals. We don't claim to be. That's the whole point of this little project we're working on. So we are not going to get the full story of the project you're working on or anything. Um, We want you to reach out to professionals, medical professionals, kind of get the whole story from more than one person, not just our podcast. So... That being said, um, especially with this episode, we're talking about solo travel and regardless like of your gender and where you're from and stuff like that, solo travel is kind of like inherently viewed as more dangerous than traveling with a group. And there's a lot of like bias and privilege that comes with traveling, especially to different places throughout the world. And we don't necessarily really openly talk about that nuance in the interview with Tessa today. And I just wanted to like really make that clear that like when you're in a space that's different than your own it's a privilege to be there and we need to act in a way that reflects that and so obviously like we talk about mindful travel in the episode but I just wanted to be really clear like solo travel is an amazing skill and a way to grow unlike any other but that being said we do need to be really realistic of like the challenges and safety concerns of especially being a woman Um, And we talk all about this later and not to scare anyone, but that's just my vibe. I want to be really clear about that, that like not only are the spaces we're in really important, but like also protect yourself. Make sure you're being like just generally a really smart, like aware, respectful person. And I think I don't have to tell this audience that, but I just wanted to make that very clear before we dive into our interview. Um, I did want to just go over. So Tessa and I kind of the first half of the interview looks like some big picture stuff. And the later half is like do's and don'ts, really specific in the weeds things. But I did want to kind of give a couple like highlights or outline notes from our talk. If you're like going back and planning a solo trip and you just want like a little five minute clip to go back through. So one thing that Tessa and I talk about is being alone doesn't have to be lonely. And how sometimes when you're lonely, that's like an indicator that you need to spend time with yourself, check in, see what you need versus like spending time with other people. So I really loved that. I thought that was a point that it is emphasized at the end, but I really wanted to make sure we aired that out in the beginning. And then some actionable steps on how to get started with solo traveling. So our first step is to brainstorm, like go online, talk to friends, get inspired. I'm really excited. I'm hoping to do like maybe a little solo outdoor stuff in northern Wisconsin 
and kind of go from there. And then your next step is going to look like research. So flight costs, durations, like your connections, what seasons do you want to avoid or go um, weather patterns, what you can do there, what are some of the best seasons for the activities that you want to maybe do, uh, maybe looking through like special events or festivals, what's it like to live there, how you're going to get around, lodging options and availability, how is your cell data and Wi-Fi going to be impacted, how are the language spoken in that area going to impact you, cultural norms and safety, which we get into in the episode. Step three is like picking a trip duration and travel date. So buying the round trip flights, just do it. It helps cement everything in stone and really make things real. Four step, book two nights at a hostel in the city you land in or nearby to get started with. And we talk more about this in the interview Um, But we really do mention like sometimes it's nice to have unstructured plans and sometimes it's really comforting to have some structure. So rule number four or tip number four is book two nights at a hostel in the city you land in just so you have something right away. And then our kind of last big step is give yourself a little rest at this point. You did the majority of the work. You can fill in the blanks when you get there or maybe like a little bit closer to the trip. So just give yourself a break. Stop thinking about it for a little bit and then come back to it and plan it later. So those are our big five steps. We don't talk about it in the interview, but I think that's really helpful if you need to go back through. And then some important things that we wanted to talk about, um, some resources. So the travel department, like the U.S. travel department, I'm going to get the formal name for that. Department of State Travel. So they will release travel advisories. And we talk a little bit about this. There's different levels to areas you can travel outside of the United States. I didn't really know much about that and I was looking through and was really interested by that. So maybe even if you're going on like a trip to Mexico or something, look through and see like has that been updated for the area I'm traveling to or like should I be really, it really flushes out like why you need to be mindful. And so I thought that was really interesting and something I kind of wish I would have looked through in earlier traveling days for me. So I really like that in my research for this episode. And then lastly, I think as women, not that this podcast is only for women or people who identify as women, but we do have to kind of look out for each other when we're out there. So that's, we didn't really touch on that a whole lot, but just when you're out there, these things are hard to do. Let's acknowledge that like traveling alone or being by yourself in a world that's really obsessed with groups and FOMO and everything is really challenging. So just like give yourself some hype, hype yourself up, hype each other up, um, like I just think we should really celebrate it when you're out there doing it so those are kind of our tips for the interview um a little more about Tessa she lives in Seattle I met her in the ski and snowboard club at Madison hoovers which I've talked about a million times at this point but I worked under Tessa for a little bit learned a lot from her she's just such a cool person and I really look up to how she views adventure and how willing she is to share her experiences so without further ado I hope you folks love this episode I really thought it was a good one have you on in her nature how are you doing it's been a minute since we've touched base I'm doing well how are you doing Caroline I'm good it's we were just talking before we started recording it's like cold in Wisconsin it's so annoying I feel like I've earned warmth and it's not here yet yeah Seattle summer is super magical so I'm super excited for the upcoming months I love it. Okay, Tessa, we have you here today to talk about solo traveling, which I'm really excited to get into because it's something I've been interested in, but I'm pretty intimidated by. How did you kind of get into solo travel and what's your experience with it? Yeah, good question. So I think that getting into solo travel, it doesn't even have to be a huge leap to another country where you take this big six month eat, pray, love Um, hiatus you know you can start really small and I think that I started with my solo travel when I was really little and when I was maybe five I asked my parents to go to overnight camp and I wanted to go without them I wanted them to send me away and I wanted to go have these experiences and you couldn't you had to be eight years old and so my parents would send me up to my grandma's house and to me that felt independent that felt Like I don't have mom and dad's guidance anymore. I'm my own individual. And I, you know, that to me is kind of when it started. And I got those feelings of independence and I got those feelings of being able to go exploring and trying something new. I think that you can just start small and you can go 
just to a local park. You can go on a local hike. You can start with a, a day trip. I think I'm really lucky. My friends value travel. And so it's things that we love to do together include going to other countries. Um, one of my friends is from India or her family's from India. And I went with her for a whole month and I would never have done that alone um, or on my own. So that encouragement from my friends is something that has got me into travel. And I think just that combination of loving to do things from a young age, very independently and loving to travel, just married themselves into loving solo travel. <laughs> I, I never thought of it like that, but you're so right. Like once you kind of have that itch and it doesn't even have to be at a young age, but if you definitely are someone that like maybe loves like a little bit of recharge time or like needs some space, it might be like a cool thing to start planning or thinking in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. And it can start with going on a run by yourself. And were you comfortable? Do you like, cause I, I know friends who don't even like to run by themselves because they don't like to be in their headspace. Um, right. So you can start with that or just thinking, could I coordinate and plan for a weekend camping trip? You know, was that scary? Was I able to feed myself? Was I able to figure out the logistics you know, was I able to be motivated and excited? Um, and then, and then transition to bigger trips. And I love, I love the headspace comment because I think that's a huge part of this is like, are you comfortable in your own headspace? And that, that answer can be no, and it's totally <laughs> fine. It's like, and we'll get into the things that solo travel kind of does for you as a human, but I think acknowledging that is like such a good starting point, because if you don't even love being by yourself, that that's an okay thing, but that is something you need to think about because you are your own companion. So I love the idea of starting small too. Like let's think tangible first steps. Like mm -hmm. let's, there are things that we can apply to bigger trips. Like if you plan, I love this idea of planning like a trail run. We just had an episode on that, like do a little research, figure out like where your trails are. And once you can kind of execute and do that thing, start to finish, and it's an hour away from your house and you got back in one piece, like that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And once you have that down in the small frame of things, it's exactly the same when you get into those big picture, you know, three month hiatuses, six month, year long. If you can do the little day trips for on your own and be happy and execute them well, then by all means, you're ready to go do that six month trip. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think one thing that always gets in my brain when I start thinking solo travel is it just feels very intimidating. Like how do you, and I think on the back end of this, we'll get into like what solo travel does for you, because I think mm -hmm. that is such a huge part of it. But I think the big elephant in the room is it just is a very intimidating thing to do, especially as a woman or honestly, any like non-white men, like it's just an intimidating thing to do. So yeah. how do you even begin the planning process to make it feel less daunting? My first solo travel experience was a study abroad experience. And so that one, my hand was really held. And before that, I traveled with my family. So I had my passport. I had awareness of booking flights. I knew logistics about you know needing a adapter for your phone for your outlet like I, I knew some basic things and with my study abroad program they gave us this list of these are the vaccines you need and I didn't even know you needed to get vaccines but I think that that experience kind of prepped me to have some skills for then when I was on my own I think just the first step is picking a location that you're excited about and from there, you know, just pick out, just brainstorm. First step is brainstorm. You don't have to commit to anything. Maybe I've seen something online or I've talked to friends because when you're traveling, you meet other travelers and they'll, um, they'll tell you to go other places that they thought were cool. And then that becomes an, that what's on your bucket list. My most recent travel abroad, um, my most recent solo travel was to Portugal. And I was there as a digital nomad working remotely for three months. And I had picked that location specifically because I'd Googled where's the best location for digital nomads. I just honestly picked from the list and the most, the one that made me most excited. Um, so that's definitely 
step one is just let your dreams soar, you know, just get creative and uh, get inspired. I love that. And I think the other thing is just like, you don't have to commit to anything right away. I love that idea of just saying like, okay, I'm going to let myself be completely creative in this process in the beginning. And then I'll engage the logistics side of my brain at a different phase. But like Mm -hmm. phase one is fun and it can be fun and it can be like tap into all these internet resources. Like, like, can you explain to us what a digital nomad is? I feel like I kind of know, but it's a vague term. You know what I mean? That's a good question. The digital nomad is somebody who can work remotely and they get income from their country and, but they don't have any real ties to their country. So they're able to choose wherever they want to work, they can go work. So I do work remotely. Um, so I just, all I needed was my computer, my mouse, my headset, um, and really good Wi-Fi. And if a place had Wi-Fi, I could work there. Um, so I just up and chose Lisbon. And when I was there, there was actually a big community of digital nomads. And I joined a digital nomad Facebook group and they had events and I joined a digital nomad WhatsApp group and we would all get together and talk and share our experiences um, and give suggestions and talk about where, which cafes have the best Wi-Fi and which cafes have the best ambiance and the best food for if you're working at a cafe. And um, it's definitely a whole entire world to explore. And I feel like I've just touched the tip of the iceberg with my three months abroad. That is so cool. It's like a career opportunity I didn't even really know about. So I wanted you to kind of elaborate because I was like curious. I've never really heard anyone define it, but that's super cool. And maybe if you love solo travel like you do, it's a a super good career option. For me, I was getting a little bit um, burned out at my career. The pandemic, I was working remotely. I I was just feeling really isolated. And I was trying to talk to my manager about how can I, like my isolation was negatively impacting my work life. And I was not able to focus on my projects because I was so understimulated. And so I was trying to come up with creative solutions to not just be home depressed all of the time um, and how to kind of add back this stimulation that my brain needs in order to be productive. And for me and my brain chemistry, travel is something that keeps me stimulated in a really healthy way so that I'm able to have the motivation for work. Um, So it's actually really good for my career to go working in another country. That is so interesting. It's cool to me because we're talking about solo travel, right? In the name itself, you would think like just, and we'll get into the loneliness aspect, but Mm -hmm. you think I, at least I relate solo traveling to kind of being alone versus what you're saying is like, no, in fact, like solo traveling came back around and gave me the sense of community that like, I didn't like that. I desperately need to be a human. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah. And I think just going back to the, um, you know, being intimidated on getting started with this solo traveling and, you know, like, I thought that there were certain barriers like my work. Um, I'd actually asked HR if I could work remotely and HR said no. And I went anyways. Um, And I just think, you know, there are gonna be barriers and those are intimidating, but there's ways to work around everything and there's ways to make things work for you. So I just think that any intimidation that you feel about solo travel is probably valid, but also don't let it stop you. I love that so much. Okay. So I do want to get into this because I feel like it's almost reverse engineering solo travel. Like we need to tell people what it does for you and then we'll tell you how to do it later. Cause I feel like it's different than what my brain thought, but it totally makes sense now. And I love that comment. Like that is so cool. But like looking back a little bit, what do you think that solo travel kind of gave back to you to be so like productive and a better human and stuff? Yeah, I think for me, um, like I definitely get a lot of value traveling with my friends. You know, I love traveling with people and to me, community is a huge part of my life. I'm definitely an extrovert, um, but solo travel is equally as important to me. And I don't think that 
extra extroverts should shy away from it. I think that solo travel has a place for both introverts and extroverts alike. Um, I think what I really get about a so solo travel experience, whether it is a small trail running weekend out here in the Pacific Northwest or a three month trip to another country is one, it's extremely empowering. You own all of your own decisions. So if you decide, you decide what day you wanna fly in, you pick out your hostel, you have to coordinate the logistics. If you make a friend group, that wasn't anyone else's doing, that was all you. When things work out, that was all you. And I think that making those decisions and having things work out just shows you how capable that you truly are. Yeah, I love that. And I think like, and we wrote a couple notes about this, but I think another thing you talk about is that freedom, which I think goes hand in hand with that. Like you were saying, like yeah. you're the one that makes all the decisions. And sometimes like work will maybe come into play if you are like balancing stuff, but for the most part, like you are the one responding to those decisions. So I think it's like yeah. the empowerment aspect, the freedom aspect, like I just think that's so unique and you do not get that in normal life that often when you're around other people. Yeah. Yeah. And along those lines of freedom, you don't have to respond to anyone. And I think that that element of freedom really helps you kind of delve into your own identity on, oh, was I going out to these parties and staying up late because I like to party and stay up late? Or am I doing this because I was feeling pressured or there was expectations or am I, do you know, just you get to choose and you get to choose if you want to go to bed early that night or if you want to stay up late, you get to choose if, um, I think for me, what I really like about solo travel is I tend to have a lot of energy and it tends to burn out my friends. Usually people are telling me to slow down and I just need to be able to go and see what I can do and push myself and like live this you know it's almost that my appetite for adventure is so high that it's not satiated in a day-to-day -day, even in Seattle where I'm doing a lot of activities all the time I just sometimes I just need to go off um and I can and I think that you can also take risks and you have the freedom to take those risks and it's this idea about um, like, what do you need out of this trip? Like, is it a really high energy, like I need to feel exhausted at the end of this and feel like I really did something or is it like a restful thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So how do you kind of flesh out like what, what is the intention of this trip? How do you kind of get there? Yeah, I really like, um, I really like how you said that in that, you know, each solo travel, it's just taking what you need and Sometimes what you need is a big adventure and sometimes what you need is just kind of mindful, wandering, decompression. You know, life gets really fast sometimes and we get so overloaded with work and being connected to social media and our friends and, um, you know, it's just life is fast and trying to balance sleep and career and social circles and family it's you never have time for your own thoughts and so I think that giving yourself that space carving out that time to really just be with your own thoughts and feelings is a really wonderful experience because you actually know what you need and you're not just bullying yourself into this structure where you think you need to exercise so you go and do it or you think you need to sleep more or you think you know you're not you're just doing things because you think you need to but if you're alone you get to feel into that and figure out what your own thoughts and feelings are rather than just that of your um kind of echo chamber that you're surrounded surrounded on yeah and I think it's really hard especially as women to like kind of communicate what you need in groups we've talked a little bit about that before on the podcast but it's hard to even know what you need when you're surrounded by so much input. That's why mm -hmm. I need to take time to be alone because I don't even know what I need half the time. Like it, yeah. so solo travel is like an even greater version of that. You know, you can take days to figure out what you need. Um, I want to talk about 
sometimes in solo travel, you think, okay, I have to be really safety focused. I'm, I'm the one planning all this. So I need, like, you might have the tendency to over plan because you don't want to have free time or space or whatever, but Mm -hmm. you kind of say plan loose, like give yourself the space. So can you talk a little bit about that and how you approach that? So I think that you touched on some key points there with planning. One is just planning, you know, having, having it so that you have the correct balance and then, you know, the correct balance of activities versus looseness and room for spontaneity versus just pure safety considerations. I think just touching on like the loose versus structured part first, some of my best experiences traveling were the ones that happen so spontaneously and unplanned. Right. But I also think there's the side of spontaneity that can be really scary and misleading. So how do you kind of think about that risk when you're traveling versus at home? There's all of these things that we choose not to protect ourselves from in our normal lives that just sound scarier when you're in a different environment that's not familiar, even though it's as equally as risky. I know when people talk about like high consequence activities, they talk about perceived risk perceived risk. So just for for people who don't maybe know what that is, it's the idea that your brain is alerting you of like what a risk might be versus an actual risk, which is like a physical, like a very objective thing that is risky in the situation. So the idea is your brain may flag more things that aren't really that big a deal just to like kind of I don't know there you could kind of get into the psychology of this but for people that like aren't familiar with that thought process Tessa do you want to explain it in your words kind of how what perceived risk is versus like actual tangible risk yeah I think that you summed it up pretty well yeah but that perceived risk is just what yeah the alarms that go off in your head And so if you're familiar with something, if you're familiar with a certain sound at night, then when you hear that sound, you're not going to wake up startled. But when you're sleeping and you hear a weird sound, you're going to jump and think that it's something scary. And so it's really just what are you comfortable with? Um, You know, like maybe you're on a hike and you feel that the exposure is really a lot and you're looking off the side of this cliff and you feel like you're going to fall off the cliff but you might be a rock climber and you might always be on cliffs and you realize that ledge is extremely stable and you're not just going to spontaneously fall off of the cliff. Um, You know, so it's depending on what your familiarity is and your comfort level, then that perceived risk is different, but the actual risk is more kind of the percentage, the actual percentage of how many people get in trouble doing that exact thing? Or what is the actual chance that something bad's gonna happen? I think one example of just um, bringing it home to Seattle is I go trail running a lot and I'm always afraid that I'm going to get eaten by a mountain lion. It's my biggest concern, but people don't really get eaten by mountain lions here. It's really rare. And people trail run every single day. There's so many of us out here trail running. And I don't know why I think I'm the one person out of the thousands of instances of trail runs this year. Why do I think I'm going to be in this five-year period? Why do I think I'm the one that's going to get caught? But I never worry about getting lost where that's a lot more higher percentage. Or I never worry about um, tripping and rolling an ankle, even though that is a lot higher percentage. I never think about running out of water and getting dehydrated or, you know, I never worry the things that actually could happen to me. I'm not as worried about is this, you know, figurative mountain lion. Yeah. And I think the process of kind of working through that and your perceived risk may change with time and experience. And so that is the thing that can kind of ebb and flow. And it's important to be kind of sub- kind of objective about it all like you do need to really think through like what are the actual risks and what can I do that will prevent those from happening to me and you try your best you know and you take the right steps do you have steps that you do when you solo travel pretty consistently that help you manage those risks good question first things first I want to say ladies who are listening to this podcast specifically American ladies or if you are blonde you stick out. 
and you might think, oh, well, you know, um, women are no different, like gender neutrality or equality or, you know, like what is gender these days? It's 2023. Well, not all countries think that way. You, if you're wearing something that makes you stand out at all, if you're wearing expensive jewelry, you're a target. If your hair is blonde, you're a target. And unfortunately, if you are a female, you are likely a target. Your accent making you American can make you a target because our passport is so valuable um, that if people are being overly nice, you know, there's some places that you have to be really careful. Like I would say Latin America or um, I, I think like Europe tends to be pretty safe when it comes to these things. But if you're traveling in South America or Latin America, people are gonna want your passports. They're gonna want your money out of your pocket. So like we, we just, we just talked about most people being good and, you know, people proving to you how good they are, but you also have to be aware that people are bad. And there are those bad apples that can really, you know, mess it up. And I think that's life. And we're not trying to say this stuff to scare people, but it is like a reality of solo travel. You need to be your own best advocate in these spaces. Do you like communication wise, you tell people, Hey, I'm going to be out for three months. Like, how do you communicate? How do you make people aware of your plans? Yeah. So I, before I've gone on some of these trips, I've sent out an email to my parents and I have my flight information. Um, the email is definitely not as detailed as they wanted again, due to that planned versus unplanned balance. Um, I wanted to have some space and some gaps to be able to just spontaneously do things but I did give them a timeline of this is when I'm booked at this Airbnb for a month. And this is, or this is the two weeks that I'm just going to be flying by the seat of my pants with no contact. So if you don't contact me and you don't know where I am in this two week period, don't fear. But if you can't contact me for two weeks during this period where I'm reliably at the Airbnb, then you should fear. Um, and just giving, I also have, um, like, I also think that a safety thing is getting travel insurance. Um, I actually had an instance when I was in Botswana and I got bucked off of a horse and I broke my wrist and I was in the middle of nowhere. Um, it had been like a 12 hour overnight bus to get there. And the next overnight bus was three days later. And so I got to the small village clinic you could call it (laughs) um wasn't a clinic and they wrapped up my wrist and my fingers were turning purple to the point that it was concerning of maybe like losing a finger um and when I got an x-ray three days later and sent it to my um health my health insurance at the time I sent it to them and they said you need to fly back tomorrow and there was this little fine print in my health insurance that was medical evacuation if you're in an international country and so they took over and they booked me a flight home for the next day and i was evacuated emergency evacuated from botswana back home to get this emergency surgery um i didn't want to go i wanted to stay in botswana um i was i thought botswana could do a fine job um fixing my wrist, you know, I thought they could do it fine, but in in hindsight, they did not have the resources. They were going to just pull my fingers and bop my wrist is what they described the procedure as. And I really needed good medical care. Um, the doctor, the surgeon who'd operated on my wrist said it was one of the more complex breaks she's ever seen. So it was really good that I had that insurance. If I didn't have that fine print in my health insurance. So cover your bases is one of the safety things, you know, get that travel insurance, get that medical um, travel insurance with medical evacuation. Um, Very important. Okay. That is so like, I would have never known that. And I also would have been like, I'm a safe person. I don't typically have issues like that. Like I've really, I've broken one thing, but it was a slow break, you know, it was a stress fracture. So you, you don't think that stuff applies to you. And then all of a sudden you're in a situation that warrants it. Yes. I would also say on lines of safety, um, it is good. Yeah, it is good to like, just communicate where you're going to be with people. 
and just say, this is when I'm accessible, this is what I'm not, this is my general plan. Um, and then it's also for um, like, for if you're carrying money, a really good trick is don't keep all your money in one place. There are these really nice travel purses you can buy, but they're really expensive. Um, they kind of lock or you can hide them on your body. Um, definitely I used, when I was in Guatemala, I used one of the body. It's like this thing that goes under your shirt and it ties around your waist. So you have your purse, but you also have this body belt that I would keep my money in the body belt. But the purse I maybe had like, you know, just small change that I could buy something tiny. You know, I could maybe buy like lunch, but I had the most, more, more of my money, my restock around my waist so that no one could take it. Um, and then that, if, if somebody takes your jacket and you have your money in your pocket, they don't take all of it. Or if they steal your purse, you still have money in other places. So that's kind of, if you're in a place where you're worried about petty theft or crime, just putting your money in multiple places is a common um, tactic to not, to not get it all taken. Yeah, be completely SOL. <laughs> to be completely SOL, yeah. And then I, I think that's know. a great point though. You don't think about that because like yeah. you go with your friends on Friday night or whatever and you shove all that stuff in your bag. You don't even think twice about it because if you lose it, you'll probably find someone that will already have it for you. You know, you just live under that privilege. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I think that's a great point. I guess one question I had for you when you were chatting was, do you do research ahead of time on safety, like country safeties? I think you have a pretty like, you've traveled extensively. So you yourself have a really intimate idea, I think, but how do you like, I don't know, there's a lot of bias and like privilege tied into yeah. all this that I think we'll get into, but like, how do you do your research? And then we'll get into mindful travel too. Yeah. So I definitely think doing your research is really important. Um, luckily all of the places I've traveled to, I have been able to contact people who were on the ground there and get their on the ground opinion. I think the most scared I ever was to travel was to a country, Guatemala. I was reading the travel advisories and there's this website that is the US travel advisories and it lists, oh, this country's safe, this country's not so safe, this country, so I think it's green, yellow, red, and then black means this is a war zone currently and like do not go. Um, Guatemala was like red black. It was like saying, really trying to get people not to go to Guatemala. Um, and it was freaking me out because I didn't know why the US advisory would say Guatemala is totally a no-go. Um, so I was trying to do my research and the airport in, in Guatemala city was in one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in Guatemala city, which is the most dangerous spot in all of Guatemala. And that's where you land. And um, I was supposed to just go and get a taxi from some, anyone random. It just seemed like a really risky plan. And I was terrified and I went through so much, I, um, so much turmoil before going, just trying to think in my head, all right, Tessa, are you strong enough? If you do get kidnapped, can you handle this? Like, you know, like if you get beat up, can you handle this? If you can't handle it, you can't go. And just torturing myself. So like how, okay, I'm just trying to think big picture here. Like you had a really good resource of someone that is on the ground, but like, how do you, what would be your advice for someone who is interested maybe in a little bit off the beaten track place, but doesn't know what info to trust? Yeah. Um, well, I would say if you're, if you're uncertain about the safety of a country, that shouldn't be your first solo experience. I definitely think if you're going to a country that is dangerous, like Guatemala, um, maybe bring a friend with you. There's definitely safety in numbers. Uh, I went because I was encouraged to go by myself and it wasn't my first tro solo travel experience. But when I was in Guatemala, I was in this town called Antigua and a girl did go missing um, while I was there. So it definitely happens. And if you just have that buddy system going on, I think you're a lot better off. Um, so maybe your first time to a country, if you're nervous about it, that doesn't have to be solo. 
Um, but you could also find safety in numbers while you're there. And so when I was in Guatemala, when I was in that town where the girl went missing, I never walked around by myself. I always found someone from where I was staying. And I said, do you want to walk around with me? And so then we were two. And like, do you want to go do this thing with me? And during the daytime, it was different. I would walk around by myself, but I would walk around in public areas. I think it's, you just have to have your common sense about you of don't go down the dark alley by yourself. Being smart. And if something seems too generous, it probably is. Yeah. And like, trust your gut too, you know, like that's the part of this is you do need to build this like gut reaction and we can go on forever about things that are scary, but there are plenty of places in the world that are really beautiful places to travel. And it does not need to be international either. It can be domestic places, which you also need to be aware of like crime wise, Mm -hmm. but don't, you don't need to jump to the furthest place away by yourself. I mean, really think realistic about this. Okay, Tessa, so we were talking about danger and just like, I don't know, mitigating that, working through that. There's this other side of it that we need to navigate these communities we go to with grace. You kind of coined it mindful traveling. Can you talk a little bit about your perspective on that? Yeah, I think even segueing that from this danger discussion that we just had, uh, when I was in, you know, with that example of Guatemala, I was under the impression that Guatemala was so dangerous. I was so scared. I'd read the U.S. advisories. And so when I landed, I was expecting everybody to be scary. I was projecting those beliefs that I had about the country onto every single person and every single thing that I saw there. But when I actually got to Guatemala, it was so different. And the people I interacted with are so nice and helpful and warm and I felt safe I felt safer in Guatemala than I did in the United States but Guatemala was that U.S. advisory do not travel which shocked me a little bit um but I think that 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 just goes to show that you know you can carry those projections and into a country and kind of label it in a way and when you start labeling these countries that shapes people's visions of the country and it can kind of change how we interact and if you treat somebody like they suck then they might start to suck you know you have this power and influence as a traveler over how you navigate the country and if you're going in and being warm and jovial and trusting then you know, you get, you get to set the tone. Um, and I think that another thing to be mindful of is when you're coming over as an American, you have a lot more privilege oftentimes in other countries where your dollar goes a lot longer. So if you're going to South America, Latin America, if you're traveling to anywhere in Africa or Southeast Asia, if you're going to Thailand, Vietnam, or if you're going to Iberia Peninsula, Spain and Portugal, it's going to be cheap for you. And you're going to say, holy cow, look at me. I feel rich. Um, And if you're going there with these expectations that a $5 coffee is acceptable and normal, then you're going to create a lot of gentrification in these countries where then all of a sudden the locals can't go to their favorite local coffee shop. They can't go to their favorite restaurant they can't live in that neighborhood of the city anymore because all these travelers are coming in and they're willing to spend those prices and something I really have tried to do is avoid even though I can afford these rental you know rental units or I can afford that meal I try not to afford it because my you know the the people who are local wouldn't afford it So whenever I afford something that is, um, you know, prices that match American prices, I probably will avoid it. I'll call it a splurge and I'll do it a couple of times, but I would probably, I would choose the coffee shop that has the one euro coffee over the five euro coffee. Um, That is interesting. I never thought of it like that. And we were going to get into finances a little bit, but, and like, obviously finish up if you have more to it, but that is just an interesting concept I've never thought about before. Yeah. And before we get into 
finances. The one other thing about mindful travel is um, this idea is if you go in with a list of things you want to see, where you're like, this country is valuable for X, Y, or this city or this place is valuable for X, Y, Z, then that city or that country is going to put out X, Y, Z. And if you don't, you know, if you're going in too aggressively saying, I'm going to get in and I'm going to get out and I just want to see the highlights from this one guidebook that I saw, or I just want to see that, I just want to go to that overlook that I keep seeing on TikTok, you know, and take my TikTok picture or, you know, Instagram picture or like, you know, I just, you just want to do those key things to have done that. Then those places are going to get overrun. They're going to get really mainstream. And then the, the parts of the country or the city that really are real are not going to get seen or they might ultimately disappear or get overrun. And so I think that it's important to just go in. It's important to set the tone of your travel if you're trying to be mindful, not as a conqueror, not I'm trying to conquer these milestones in an aggressive way. It's sit back, lean back and kind of let the experiences come to you. And it might be totally different than you imagined, but that's because you're in another country in another culture. And that's the goal of this. That is, I think just so well said. And I love that so much because I think when you're just there to experience something and stay safe and like check your, get your boundaries set, you know, like get your foundation set and then just like be open-minded about what you're going to see. And you don't need to check stuff off. I feel like that's such an American thing is to check stuff off. Mm-hmm. It's like, just pause and mm-hmm. breathe and ask a couple people, what did you do today that you really liked? You know, let's get a little bit into finances. This doesn't need to be like the be all end all list, but like, how do you approach saving up for trips and spending money on trips? Totally. So budgeting, honestly, is not my strong suit. Um, I usually just track my spending in hindsight. And so I, I have this general awareness of how much do I spend on food each month? How much do I spend on my rent each month? How much do I spend on my auto and my gas? Um, so I have a general awareness of those items and I track those in my daily life through an app that I have through my, my credit card. When you are traveling abroad, you often have to pay for most things in cash. And so beware if you're used to tracking your spending through an app of some sort that's linked to your credit card, you're not going to know when you're spending it on in cash. You're not going to know if that was for transportation. You're not going to know if that was a splurge or if that was a meal, if that was groceries. Um, so then I had to redo my, um, like my, my spending tracking, I had to redo it to just lump some, you know, how much did I spend this period of time? How much did I spend this two weeks or this month? And am I spending more than I was expecting to be spending? And for me, my rule of thumb when I travel is I just don't want to spend more than I spend in my daily life. Um, and I, for me, that's pretty easy because I live in Seattle and the cost of living in Seattle is really high. Um, so then not spending more in say Lisbon or Guatemala or India or Botswana was really easy for me. And then, then I could actually splurge a lot more and I could just track and go, I would, for me, I would just go by feel. Um, I would just feel out a couple of weeks and then I would see how much did I spend total amount in that couple of weeks. And is it still less than I spent in a couple of weeks in Seattle? Yeah. Um, I do have a couple of rule of thumbs. Um, one, I only eat out once a day. So I wouldn't go eat out. Like if I went surfing in the morning and got a nice lunch with my friends, I wouldn't go out to dinner. I would make myself cook dinner that night. Um, and I think just by going to the grocery store, one, it saves money, a lot of money. And it also kind of helps you get to know the rhythm and routine of a place as well. So it's definitely um, twofold in its benefits there. I also had a rule of thumb that my Airbnbs and hostel 
for the ones that I was choosing, it's easy to spend a lot of money on Airbnbs and hostels because a lot of them know that you're a wealthy American coming over. So they're going to set their prices to match you. But I had a rule that my nightly budget for an Airbnb or a hostel couldn't exceed the nightly breakdown of my rent in Seattle. Um, so for reference, that was about 40 to $45 a night for me, which definitely ruled out some of the better hostels and some of the better Airbnbs. Um, but for me, I, that was my hard and fast rule. I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow it. I like this idea of trying to somewhat match it to your cost of living, because that way you're not, you're not digging out this giant chunk out of your savings. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And actually I've ended up whenever I've gone traveling where the way that I like to travel usually is going for longer durations of time and working while I'm doing that travel, I actually end up saving money and I have yet had to have had a travel, like a duration where it was more expensive for me to travel than it was for me to just stay at home. Yeah. And that's, I think, a somewhat unique situation because Seattle is such an expensive place to live. But I think you still can get away with budget travel. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that staying away from the tourist traps, you know, you might be, you might think that it's the cool thing to go on that sunset boat cruise, but maybe you'd have just as much fun walking over the bridge and with a friend and buying a two euro bottle of wine. Um, you might have just as much fun, yeah, going for a walk or, um, you know, finding an alternative that's a little less expensive. When I, I think taking public transport, the U.S. isn't as good as that at that as other countries are, and public transportation systems are amazing. You don't have to Uber everywhere. You can take the train, you can take the bus, um, you can take the trolley. There's some really good public transportation systems out there that really save you a lot of money. I think that's a great point and so true. They're, they're normally quite safe as well. Um, sometimes I know friends would, the only thing they would book is a return Uber to the airport, like pre-book one so that they knew they were going to get to the airport on time and not miss a flight. Yeah. That's like some of the only, like they would take tr- public transportation for the whole trip, except like two hours before they flight, they would book their Uber. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I did the same when I was getting for a flight, you know, that's the trade-off. If you miss your flight, you have to buy a new flight, which is a lot more expensive than that Uber ride. Yeah. So just little things like that, like think what's worth it to you. And this is not to say you should skimp out on everything and not treat yourself, like just figure out what's worth it to you and prioritize that in your traveling. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, I've even had to I've had to coach myself into splurging even a little bit more because I naturally am an extremely frugal person. So I will just choose not to do it. And I can't really justify spending my money. So I have to tell myself, Tessa, spend your money on that thing. It is worth it. You are here having this experience or buy that, buy that embroidered cloth because it's handmade and you're never going to find one like that again. Um, and in 10 years down the line, you're not going to miss the $70 that that artisan cloth costs. So you might as well just, you know, splurge and enjoy it. Yeah. I love it. See what brings you joy and think about it a little bit and you can test it out. Like you could do a a one trip where you like really prioritize food or going out and experiencing that nice, like really high-end dining. You could do something where you really like splurge on an Airbnb and figure out like, did, was that, did that bring me joy? And was that the return on the investment I wanted? And you can pace it out or you can say, I get one splurge a week or one splurge a day, depending on how much you want to spend. Um, And that splurge might be a nice hotel room or that splurge might be a nice dinner. Totally. Tessa, I want to get a little bit into some of your do's and don'ts. Um, while we wrap up, because I feel like these are some nice tangible things that come from your own experience that you've kind of figured out. So where do you want to go with your do's and don'ts? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I I have some do's and don'ts that I've collected (laughs) from traveling. And this is from experience. I think one of my big do's is do have a routine, have a schedule, 
I know it's fun. Like the part of solo traveling is having spontaneity and finding yourself and free floating around, but you are going to be so much happier and it's so much more sustainable if you have that routine. Otherwise you're going to get to, you know, if you're making every decision on what time do I want to wake up? When do I want to have breakfast? What do I want to do today? That's going to lead to decision, decision fatigue and you might end up hating the experience because it's so much effort. Playing off that having a routine, for me, I'm, I find that I'm the most happiest when I make sure that I have a balance of um, structure around this concept of something that I heard of called the healthy mind platter. And when I adhere to that and when I make space for each one of these sections of this healthy mind platter idea then I I am happy and when I neglect it then I start feeling off and so just kind of explaining that healthy mind platter is there's different things that your mind needs in a given period of time for you to feel happy healthy and balanced and those are downtime which is just relaxing reading listening to music um, there's playtime where go explore, try something new, make a mistake. There's connecting time where find someone who you connect with one-on-one and have a deep discussion about life and whatever, you know, dig deep. There's focus time where you start a project. You want to, you know, maybe you don't have a lot of projects where you're traveling, but do some art, like sit down and paint. Even if you suck, then just focus on, or maybe you're working, maybe you're a digital nomad, then you can get that focus time. There's inward, like inward time where you're reflecting, journaling, um, meditating, thinking about your experience. There's physical excursion time. Don't forget to exercise and sleep. Don't forget to sleep either. And when I neglect any of those areas, I start feeling off balance and my travel experience starts to suck. And so if I make sure that I can schedule in those things, in my routine, then I'm a happier person. I think that's such an interesting thing. I'm like looking at this right now being like, oh, I didn't do that today. Didn't do that today. (laughs) But it's like nice because if you honestly, if you do a little notes app and you're, you're like, I feel so off. I don't know what's going on. You can look at this and be like, has one area been really over saturated and has the other area not had enough time? And you having this check-in time where you can just like quickly check off the box. Like I have a really brief travel story. I, I get migraines and mm, I get too. them. Yeah. And it's tough because they're really debilitating. And when I get them, when I travel, which is frequently, it leaves me in this like vulnerable situation. So I was in France one time and they only, <laughs> I swear to God, they only drink espresso and red wine, no water. <laughs> and so I'm like, Oh, say la vie, whatever. No water for me. If no water for them, you know, and then like two days in, I got a migraine that lasted four days. So my whole trip was like, you know, so if you just (laughs) check in with yourself and think I done these things, including like, you got to take care of yourself. Like that sleep, water. Yeah. Like no, one's going to do that for you when you're solo traveling. And you might not do it for yourself, unless you have some sort of structure and something to check in. And I actually tracked that stuff in a paper calendar and I would make sure that I was getting what I needed in my week because you forget when you're out there having the time of your life, it's really hard to check in and make sure that you're getting your basic needs. Yeah. You have so many do's and don'ts. I like, I almost want to make like a table and like put them out in the world. Cause they're so lovely. Do you have any other ones that like really stick out as really critical things? Yeah. I can just zip through some pretty quick just to you yeah. know, get them out in the world. Um, I guess the, the don't associated with the routine is don't have so tight of a structure that you don't have room for spontaneity. You know, like you do want to be able to be flexible and try something new, even if it's out of your comfort zone. Right. Um, so the do do leave your comfort zone, try something new, explore your identity. If it's taboo, don't yuck it, you know, lean into, lean into those things. If it, if it revolts you, then say why and, and lean in and don't forget to, to keep some boundaries. You know, you can say no to a night out. You can say no to 
drinking too much alcohol. You can say no to something that's scary to you if you don't feel like pushing your boundaries that day. So keep your boundaries. Um, do travel light. For me, when I packed for the first, when I pack, I usually keep one fifth of everything I set aside that I think I need. Um, you don't need a lot. You probably, you know, like one pair of pants, you, you really need a lot less than you think you need. And you can also buy anything while you're out traveling if you really need it. So do travel light, but don't forget important things like your passport. Don't forget flight confirmations, outlet adapters, any medicine subscriptions. Um, maybe if you have contacts or need glasses, um, don't forget, you know, those important things. I also, something I don't forget is secret snacks because sometimes I've got, or I have got myself in a situation where I didn't have food for probably 15, you know, like I didn't have food for the whole day from like 6am until 9pm because I forgot to, because there was nowhere to get snacks. Yeah, it's like an easy prevention thing. One thing I wanted to jump in really fast and say yeah. as like someone that's in healthcare is when you have medicine, um, prescriptions, contacts, do not put them, like keep them on you at all times because the especially the prescriptions, if those get like checked to a bag and then your bag gets like lost, then you're really yeah. so well. So just these are things that are common in our society day to day, but you need to be, that's your lifeline, right? So you need to like take the steps to have those on you. It may seem like a lot, but you don't want to lose the medicine that helps you function, you know? Yeah. And then people with, with any prescriptions, you can oftentimes ask your doctor to give you a three month supply if you are traveling. Uh, so I was on a birth control prescription at the time and I did ask for three months worth and they were able to do that for me. Yeah. Um, so that's something, another, another thing for planning. Love it. Um, another thing don't is do document your journey, take photos. Maybe that's, I know a lot of people who make travel blogs, um, journal, write down things. There's so many realizations that I came to while I was traveling that there were some times where I came to these realizations, didn't write them down, forgot them forever, and they're lost to me. Um, there's other times where I did write them down and I look back on them and I'm so shocked at how wise I was when I was traveling and I'm so grateful to have those things. But also don't take yourself too seriously when you're traveling. You know, don't worry if you have a blog, don't worry about what people think. Like, don't be so focused on that aspect of capturing every moment that you forget to just live. I, love I think that. another one, do rest when you're tired. You might have bad FOMO like me. I always have a fear of missing out, but do allow those rest days. They'll let you go you know, they'll let you be more present on those big days, but also don't let tiredness alone stop you. Sometimes it's a push and you just got to push through it and you might have the biggest payout. So it's a balance of that. Um, do time for yourself when you're traveling, it's easy to just get caught up in the waves of what everyone else is doing and the excitement and you're following people here and you're following people there. And oftentimes when I travel alone, I am so surrounded by people constantly. And it's, it's bizarre that when you're a solo traveler, you often, you're more approachable. So you have more interactions than you do if you're just with one other person. Um, but don't, so do carve out time for yourself, but also don't be afraid to put yourself out there make a fool of yourself, say hello, compliment someone, ask somebody else to do something with you because odds are that that scary act of saying, can I join your bike ride today? Or do you want to go get breakfast? That's so scary, but try it and make some new friends. Um, the last don't that I wanna cover is, and I think this one is the most important is don't let, when you're solo traveling, there's going to be moments where you feel so lonely and you're going to miss home. You're going to miss your friends. You're going to miss your life and your family and your car and your bike. And you're going to miss your bed. 
but, and you're just going to feel this deep sense of loneliness. And I think if you asked anyone who travels alone, that that loneliness is, it's there, it happens and we've all felt it and don't let that freak you out. It's normal and it's okay. And I think that finding comfort in that discomfort and allowing yourself to feel lonely for a little bit is, is fine. And, um, I actually, I've found that the moments that I'm the most lonely are when I am the most disconnected, not from my peers, but when I'm the most disconnected from myself. And I actually think loneliness is a big indicator of, Hey, have you checked in lately? Are you going too fast that you don't know what you're thinking and feeling? Do you need to slow down? And when I feel lonely, it usually means, hey, you need to go spend the day alone because you haven't checked in and you're out of balance. And I definitely think loneliness means that um, it definitely has to do more with the relationship with yourself than it does with the relationship or access to others. Tessa, I think that's so beautifully said. And I think that goes beyond solo traveling that goes into like building this relationship with yourself, I think is just so massive. And it translates into other aspects of your life that don't have to do with traveling. They have to do with how you treat other people or how you interact with the world. And I think hopefully solo travel makes you a better person. I feel like you can agree to that. Like it's teaches you all these life skills that you would get really no other way. I love it so much. Do you have anything else? I feel like that was such, I love the do's and don'ts because it's these, we talked very like big picture in the beginning, but then there's these really like tangible things that you can do in your own planning. And like we said, start small, work your way up. And there's a community of people that solo travel, like there's community in out there. And that is so cool. Yeah. I think that the one, the one final thing is that solo traveling and traveling in general, it's addicting. So once you get started, (laughs) you probably won't want to stop. For me, I have had to have solid return dates saying you have to go home because you like for this reason, otherwise I maybe would not have gone home. And a lot of the travelers that I met with traveling around, they started on a, a month long trip and it's been three years and they're still traveling. Yeah. You know, so it's definitely it's definitely a little bug and I'm super hyped for anyone out there starting their traveling experience cuz once you start, you won't stop. Yeah, and one other thing I wanted to say so I don't have a job that like I will be in person. I need a job that is not work from home, not virtual or else I'll just work all the time. So I yeah. I need like a in the office. I'll be a dentist, so I can't do that like virtually really. Yeah. So one thing I did want to add in very quickly at the end is like, it's okay if you're not going for months at a time, you can still be a solo traveler if you're not like, you don't have the largest time off in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's equally as powerful to travel for a week as it is for three months. Yeah. So just take it in chunks and I love it. You can fit this in your life in any way you need to. Tessa, thank you so much for your time. I feel like we could literally talk forever. Yeah, thank you. This has been such a pleasure to talk about traveling, about something that I love, and talking about feeling comfortable doing things so You can find us at In Her Nature Pod on Instagram and TikTok, and In Her Nature Pod at gmail.com. If you like today's episode, please share it with a friend, rate, review, and subscribe. Music by Tommy Zalewski and the Porch Flowers. All our design work is by Riley Johnson at REJ Design. Don't forget the stuff is in your nature.